welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of December 4th, 2019. I am Sean Higgins, and if you enjoy listening to Tips and Tales, we kindly ask that you please rate and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening for free on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plain and simple, rating and reviewing the show is the easiest and best way to get tips and tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. On today's show, Mackenzie spent the weekend at the Women's World Cup races in Killington, and boy, were they a show. From Marta Bacino's first career World Cup win to one of the most impressive slalom performances we've ever seen out of Michaela Schifrin, there was plenty to be happy about as Killington managed to put on another breathtaking series of World Cup racing in Vermont. Mac has actually been in airport limbo for the past few days with all the weather on the East Coast as she makes her way to Lake Louise for the Women's Speed Opener this weekend and unfortunately won't be joining me for a recap of last weekend's action. As big of a bummer as that is, I will also be sparing you from my best Colin Cowherd impression and won't be talking to myself for the next 20 minutes about the men's races in Lake Louise either. The quick and dirty is I thought Thomas Dresden's comeback win in the downhill was one of the most inspiring performances on the men's side I've seen in quite some time, and some of the other favorites on the speed side, like Dominic Paris and Matthias Meyer, made a pretty strong case that they should be taken seriously when it comes to who's a serious threat for the overall title this season. If you're interested in hearing more about last weekend's races, please be sure to check out SkiRacing.com for our full coverage of all the action from Killington and Lake Louise. All right, now for the good news. So Doug Lewis is back for the second week in a row, and we talk all about this weekend's racing with the men in Beaver Creek and the women opening up their speed season in Lake Louise. We are both here in Beaver Creek for the legendary Birds of Prey races, and things are shaping up to be pretty spectacular if I do say so myself. Favorable forecast for the weekend and a near-perfect racing surface is looking to deliver three days of epic racing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I mentioned in last week's show that Doug will be joining us on Tips and Tales periodically throughout the winter to talk about some of the most iconic stops on the World Cup Tour. From Bormio to Kitzbühel to Cortina, Doug has either raced these races himself or seen them enough times throughout his career as an athlete and broadcaster to give us some real insight on just what it takes to come out on top. With that, we'll take a quick break and be right back with the discussion. Stick around. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. All right, now we'll get you back to the show. All right, welcome back to Tips and Tales. And joining me for a second week in a row, Mr. Doug Lewis. Doug, always great to see you. Good to be here, as long as we can talk about speed. Awesome. So speaking of speed, this week is the week. Beaver Creek, Birds of Prey, we're here. We're ready for it. What can we expect this week? Um, It will be rock and roll. I like to, you know, Beaver Creek may be short. It's only about a 140 downhill. 
uh, but it is a little bit of Kitzbühel right here in the Rocky Mountains. It has everything. It has the speed, has intense side hills, uh, it has the ice that will be prepared perfectly, has huge air. It has everything, and that's why I love it so much. Even has the flats on the top, so you have to be a complete downhiller, a complete athlete to win this, and I just love that about Beaver Creek. Yeah, I agree, and I think all the athletes as well. I know Kitzbühel, Vengen, Valgardena, Bormio, they've got the tradition behind it. But when it comes to a downhiller's downhill, not much tops Beaver Creek. Like you said, you have to be good at everything to be successful here. And I love the history of it with the Herminator. I mean, just so many times he showed us what this hill could be uh, skied like. And then you have Bodie and you have Axel Svindal. You have just so many great moments on this hill. And every year gives us one of those. So talking us through the course, I know you've, you've been on it many times, called the race countless times on TV and live in person. When For the people watching at home, where are the key sections and, and why are they important to success on race day? Right. The most important. The most exciting section is the Brink, Talon, and Pete's Arena. You come off this flat after almost lulling yourself to sleep, and the world literally drops out from under you. You can't even feel the ground because it's such a steep, steep uh, pitch. Then you got to make this left footer come right next to the gate, uh, to the net, three feet. And then you're diving down this pitch, which is a skating rink up on end. It is every which way, fall away, pulls you into the net, pulls you into the side, and then these gates are set on these little pieces of terrain. It is just action. And if you're holding back, if you're scared, if you make one mistake, you're out. And so that's what makes it so perfect. Then you add on to that the top, which you have to be a glider, you have to be aerodynamic, you have to have feel on the ski, and the bottom where you're hardly even touching the ground. It's all airtime, right? So you better be good in the air. It just makes for this classic feel. And watching it as a spectator and even calling it, you're constantly, how are they doing? Were their skis fast? Do they have enough risk over Pizza Arena? How are they going to be in the air? Are their legs strong enough to make it to the finish? So I just love calling this race and watching this race. And one thing that stuck out to me is there are so many opportunities to pull back time. I think you have to be in touch on the top, but you can't win the race just by being the best glider and having the fastest skis. you got to perform on the bottom. And the same goes on the bottom. You have guys who absolutely destroy the top flat and are up by three-tenths going into the brink and then are barely hanging on down over the brink over through Pete's Arena into the finish. And I think there's a balance there. And I think one person that's been so masterful at that and unfortunately won't be racing this year has been Axel Svindal. I think some of the most impressive performances I've seen at Beaver Creek in terms of just execution and precision have come from Axel. You had Bodie with the fireworks, Darren with just raw intensity. Yeah. And then Andrew Weibrecht and his performances. But as far as a methodical approach, nailing the turns you need to nail and being fast where you need to be fast has been Axel Svindal and he'll be absent this year. Yeah, it'll be a big uh, hole to fill, that's for sure. It'll be interesting who comes up, but he had everything. You said you have to have the pieces of the puzzle. Axel was the complete racer. So looking ahead to this year's race, we talked last week about kind of the outlook on the speed season. Foyts is the defending champion coming into Beaver Creek. Do you see Foyts continuing that or uh, maybe a dark horse come in and, and take his first win in Beaver Creek? I see Foyts. Uh dominating on this race and the reason is and I've studied this his times I've studied his run I've called his run he is such a beautiful glider 
he somehow, even though he's kind of lumpy and puffy, he gets down the pizza arena in one piece, carrying a lot of speed. He owns the bottom of this course. If you look at the intermediate times from, uh, from Golden Eagle through Harrier through Redtail, he's always the best. Like he knows a secret to this. I don't know how he does it. So I don't see that uh, going away. So early on, Foyce is the guy you have to beat. He is just so smooth and he knows this course. So it's a big race on the calendar for the American downhillers. They've had a lot of success, a lot of history here in the past. It's been a bit of a lukewarm performance the last few years, given injuries, young guys coming up. Um, do you think the American boys can, can perform on home snow this year? I, I think they can. They know this course better than anybody. And um, it's always a question being at home, whether you like that energy or not. And I think these guys are veterans, Bennett, Ganong, Nyman. They know how to handle the pressure and they feed off it. So if uh, if there's a favorite besides Val Gardena for these guys, it's going to be here at Beaver Creek. They know it. They just have to relax, trust their skis and let go. That's going to be the key for the Americans just let go of that control and that's when they ski the best and i think like you said that hometown energy can in a lot of ways be your greatest asset but can be your achilles heel depending on how your outlook going into it and i think especially for these younger guys i think guys like bennett nyman ganong like they know it they've been in in that position before and they can handle it but some of these younger guys thinking i don't know it's really kind of uh a 50-50 whether they have that right mindset going in. I think it's a learned skill, too. I think it's very rarely you see an athlete that is just instinctual about, like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Bring the pressure on. Yeah, and I, and I think that has to go with the uh, lay a little bit with the coaches. They need a plan. They need to have a schedule, which is crazy at Beaver Creek, but schedule them where they get the downtime. They get that a time where they're away from their fans, they're away from their family even, and really get to work. And if they can balance those two, uh, anything's possible. And I just remember skiing in, in Aspen was our home race when I was racing. And boy, you just fed off it, and you just loved being there. Everybody loves you, and it's, it made it for me at least, easier to risk a little bit because I want to show off. And uh, hopefully these guys can show us something. I think that's an important point to touch on about the, the team around the team. You have your, your coaching staff, new down, new men's speed coach this year, Randy Pelkey. And when Randy got announced as the, the new men's speed team hire to take the place of John McBride, I, I was actually very excited given that Randy's a longtime US ski team coach himself. He spent a couple of years at the club level, but he was the development team coach for almost everyone on the speed team except for Nyman. So I think just to have that familiarity, a uh, familiar personality who really played an, an integral role in developing these young athletes into World Cup contenders will uh, pay off in spades this year in downhill. Yeah. It's all about trust, and you, you nailed it. He's known these guys for a long time. They have history. Um, specific to veterans, they may not need a technical eye. They know what they know what to do, right? They need someone who they can trust. And with Pelkey there, they can trust that things are going to be on time, things are going to be organized, and things will be um, in a point where the athletes can shine. And I think it'll be really good uh, for the whole team. It's just... You know, they need in the first training run for Ganong and Nyman to like be one too. They need that spark early in the training and then it'll be 
on fire. Any other uh, outside contenders you're going to be looking at this week in Beaver Creek? For the U.S., I got to say RCS. Ryan Cochran Siegel is such a beautiful skier. He has the strength. He has all the pieces. He went through the injury. He's he's grateful to be back. He knows he belongs now, and I really think we're going to see something special out of him, not only at Beaver Creek, but the whole year. Awesome. Going to be a great week for sure. Looking forward to it. All right. So also this weekend is the women's speed opener in Lake Louise, Lake Lindsay, as we've known it for the past few years. But obviously the namesake racer will not be at least suiting up. I hear she's going to be at the venue. I hope she shows up. She should. She gets four run. Go for it. Yeah. So uh, women's speed, this is going to be an interesting one, I think, just because of the aura of Lindsay Vaughn will not be over the top of the women's field, even though last year competitively she wasn't necessarily a factor until World Championships. That, like I said, aura of Lindsay Vaughn was still there. Now that's gone. Yeah. And we had Sophia Goja step up in a big way two years ago. She spent first half of last season injured. Is she going to be back? Are the Austrians going to continue to dominate the discipline? What are your thoughts? I think you're right. It's really interesting. You take that, there's not a shadow of Lindsay anymore over this women's speed races. And you have really two sets. You had last year's um, Schmidhofer, Venier, Siebenhofer, the Austrians that really stepped up in a vacuum of not only Lindsay not skiing well, but Stuick was hurt, Gogia was hurt, Hooter was hurt. So you had a really a mix mash and they took advantage of that. Now you have those young Austrians that, that performed last year, but then you have the return of those superstars, Gogia, Stuick, Hooter. And so how well have they healed? How much confidence they have in their body for the veterans? And then did the youngsters who stepped up last year uh, have the, enough confidence. I, I think it's going to be a battle. I like not knowing what's going to happen. I think it'll be really interesting to see how Goji responds without a Lindsay Vaughn pushing her. And I think that relationship was so interesting to watch off the hill as well because they were great friends. But on the hill, the competitive nature between those two, you could tell that Goja pushed Lindsay to be better and, and vice versa. Without that personality, it's going to be interesting to me to see how Goja responds because her style I think was the only way to beat Lindsay a couple years ago was to ski as balls to the walls as she would but we saw that catch up to her with the injury and also I think the same can be said for Stuheck with her injuries as well so I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch whether the Austrians with their prototypical methodical approach are going to get it done or the flair of Goja and the swashbuckling skiing from the Italians are going to take it this year. Just as a fan, I think I want Goji to be back and I want her to be that smiley, crazy person. I think you're right that Goji skis better when she's in a race. And I think she'll find that, whether it's Stuick or Alice McKennis or Schmidhofer, whatever. She's going to find that person that she points to at the finish and smiles at and, and hopefully will raise all of women's skiing for sure. And I think, speaking to, to Stuick, she came back from her initial injury, missed the Olympic year, takes a world championship gold medal, and then is hit with another ACL. I think just physical setbacks aside, that's got to be so deflating. I personally never went through that, knock on wood. But just speaking to the the mental challenges of not having one setback, but two back-to-back catastrophic knee injuries and coming back from that, how hard is that for an athlete to, to recenter and get back to winning on the World Cup? 
Well, knock on wood, it didn't happen to me either. In fact, I've never even blown out my knee, so I can't speak to that comeback. But Stueck did it. I was surprised. As soon as she got back, she was fast again. So she has to have that confidence that this is the program I did last time. Hopefully the injuries is not as bad and she can come back. And she's did it, she did it before, so I, I'm hoping she can do it again. But it's, it is a mystery with knees and injuries, especially on the women's side, because you just don't know how much they've worked how strong that knee is, and then what the brain's thinking. Do they have the confidence to push it? Because that's the hardest part of skiing any downhill, even Lake Louise. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of a big dark horse look for this season will be a lot of the, the Swiss women. We saw Corinne Suter really kind of, not necessarily come out of nowhere. She's been hanging around top tens, top fives here and there over the last couple of years. And then she was on the podium at World Champs. She was on the podium at World Cup Finals. And she's a quiet girl. I think I've only talked to her once at the finish and she didn't have much to say. So I'm going to be really interested to see what she does. And also Michelle Gizine as well with her brother getting injured, her taking time off last year, how she rebounds. She has some strong results in the tech events, but I mean, you know, downhill is a completely different animal on the world cup. But if you look back last two years to 19, to 18, Gazine was on the podium in the downhills. And so I think again, on the women's side, I think is there a, I was jealous of the women's side. They're a better team atmosphere. And I think that really plays to their strengths, uh, whether it's the Swiss, the Austrians, Americans. If they get a team that's hot, like the Austrians were last year, I think you see that. And so if uh, uh, Suter and Goot and Gazine all of a sudden start to gel, they'll take off. And someone just has to get in their slipstream. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking a little bit more to that team dynamic, another Italian, Nicole Delago, has shown incredible speed on the World Cup. Very raw, very inconsistent. She got on the podium at Valgardena last year, which is actually her home mountain, which was very special to see. And I think that team dynamic as well. I know the Italian, they call themselves the Downhill Lions. Yeah. They're a very close team, and, and you can tell they feed off of each other as well. Yeah, and all Delago has to do is follow Gosia. Just do what she did. It was like me, when I got on the team, I just followed Phil Mayer uh, and did what he did. So find that vet. Find that person who does it right. And they're very similar in the fact that they're free and they will just go. Hopefully they don't crash. I I'm excited to see what Delago does. Mm -hmm. And I think the big question mark, the big X factor in downhill this year will be Michaela Schifrin. How much will she race? She We know she can win in downhill. Um, do you think a downhill title is in her sights? I mean, if you ask her directly, she'll probably say no, but I got to think that competitive nature of hers. Who bets against Michaela now is the stupidest person ever, right? If she wanted to be downhill champion, she'd probably become downhill champion. To me, it's all about that team, what they decided. And the team uh, is so strong and so tight that they really uh, stayed with their plan. However, I love it when I see um, her push it a little bit more in levy on that slalom. And she was really working. Instead of just being the machine, she was working it. I like it when she risks. She knows when she risks, she has success. And so I want to see more of that risk. And that plays right into speed because you have to risk in speed. I'd love to see her enter more if she can get the, you know, the schedule of the slalom and GS under control. I'd love to see her enter more and more speed races and this is the one she's won both the slot the downhill and the super g why not go up there risk a little and see if you can sweep this place too mm -hmm. and speaking to the rest of the american team obviously one of the best 
if not the best speed team in the world over the past 10 or so years. Lots of retirements, obviously. Lots of injuries, unfortunately, over the last couple of years. But got a couple of them coming back. Loren Ross is sitting out the year just to, to be extra sure she'll be ready for the World Cup season. But Jackie Wiles is back after, I think, 18 months from when we last saw her. Alice McKennis also as well from taking last season off. With the Americans healthy, do you think they can can get that uh, form early, or do you think it'll take two or three series into the year before we see the Americans get competitive and downhill again? I think it'll be two or three years before you see a team like they had. However, Alice McKennis, I think, is ready to go. I think she's come back from injury so many times, she knows when she's ready and she knows this course. So Alice could be that surprise person. Um, Jackie Wiles, I think, is going to take a while. It's an, it's an injury. It was a bad one. She's worked her butt off. She does not want to. I bet she'll have a governor on, which is totally natural for a little bit. But then you have Alice Merriweather, uh, a girl who went to elite team. I've known her since she was 11. I didn't think she was going to be a downhiller. But the more I know her and, and watched her, she has that spirit where she likes to risk. So maybe see that that's her breakout year where she scores in every downhill. Yeah, I think talking to... Alice Merriweather, she doesn't expect that she would be a downhiller either. So I think it's been a couple years of surprises from her. So moving on to Women's Super G, kind of another one that's been somewhat wide open, lots of people competitive, and then kind of the, the Schifrin surprise last year. That was the cherry on top of a record-breaking season for Michaela to pull out the Super G title on the last day of the season in Soldeu. I mean, we talked about this before. Michaela's competitive. She wants to win a Super G title. We know she is more than capable of being very strategic about her fatigue levels this year. What are your thoughts about the women's Super G race? I think it's uh, it's as, almost as deep as the as the GS. You got Schifrin, of course, as you said, who's into more and more risk. She's added the little skills and disciplines of the speed to her skiing in a very methodical way, and it's all there. She just, I think, has to decide in the starting gate whether she wants to just score or she wants to win, and it's up to her because when she risks, it's it's awesome. And you got Schmidhofer who. We haven't talked about Vyrider in either the downhill or now in the Super G, Ravensburg. Um, there's a lot of women out there who, when they want to risk, and that's what Super G is all about, when they want to risk and, and uh, put it on the line, redline it just a little bit, they can all win up there. So I think it's it's not as deep as the GS, but it's really deep, and I have no idea besides Schifrin. Yeah, I agree. I think outside of Schifrin, the name to watch would be Tina Weirather. She's won the Dead Crystal Globe twice already, missed out on it last year. And, I mean, her family, given her family pedigree, it's like gold medals or Crystal Globes are like, don't even don't even get out of here. Yeah. Um, and I think talking to, to your point about the Women's Super G title as a whole, it's maybe not quite as competitive as, as Women's GS, but you see a lot of the same skiers in the mix. And I think even more so than you see on uh, the men's side, you have a lot of, I would say, pure GS skiers, like your Federica Brignones, your Victoria Ravensburgs, get really, really competitive in Super G. And I think given the right conditions, given the right sets, one of those skiers could really challenge for the title as well. Yeah, and, and you got Gogia coming back as well and Stuart. So I really like how Ravensburg went all the way over to the downhill, the, just training it and skiing it helped her super G. So a lot of these GS skiers enter the downhill, train a little downhill. That skill and that risk-taking helps them in their super G so much. I just love women's super G because 
Every hill is different. Every set is different. The conditions seem to be always a little bit haywire and there's always action. I mean, there's always people flying out and hopefully they're not getting hurt, but I just love how you never know what's going to happen. And outside of Michaela Schifrin, I would say really it's, it's Alice Merriweather right now. I mean, Jackie Wiles and Alice McKennis haven't really done much in their careers in Super G. They've really been kind of pure downhill skiers, but Alice has shown that she has potential in Super G as well. Alice Merriweather, I should yeah, say, yeah. of the two Alices, the younger one. Um, again, with, with Alice Merriweather, do you see her having more of an impact on the downhill side or the Super G side this year? I see her more as a downhiller. I really like the way she has a mellow feel to to spread out the pressure in those longer turns. In Super G, um, I just need to see a little bit more technical expertise, which she's been working on uh, with her coaches. Uh, so I just, I just see her as more of a downhiller, but that's not to say I can be super wrong. Well, bottom line is there is plenty to watch and be excited about this weekend. Not only this weekend, but this season, Doug. Thank you again so much. We will talk to you soon and uh, have fun out there this week. Thank you. All right, that does it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next time.